This is the last message in a quick little beginning of the year um, micro series, mini series called Abide. We're just looking at what it means to abide in Jesus Christ. And so two weeks ago, um, the first message, the big idea of that message, you can find it online, was that according to Jesus, abiding in him is the way to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. That's where he starts, that abiding in him is the way that we will um, satisfy the deepest longings of our soul, which we were created for him. And so as Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And so it's through abiding that we are truly satisfied at the deepest level. And then last week, the big idea of my message was as we abide in Christ, his ways and his will become our will and our ways. As we abide with him, he does this transforming work in us that maybe we, we, we aren't even able to see it in real time, but work is taking place in our own soul, in our own lives, and his will and his way begin to transform our will and our ways. And here's where we're gonna go uh, today. We're going to read um, another letter that John the Apostle has written. Uh, it's called Second John. It's a, it's a short little letter to a small congregation. We're gonna read this and just process it. Um, the entire thing is 13 verses in total. Uh, and then from there, I wanna introduce to you a tool just very briefly, it's called a rule of life. And a rule of life um, is a way that we can uh, functionally and intentionally abide in Christ. And so what we're going to do together is, if you're willing, we're going to craft an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything that we do. We're just going to start to give ourselves to that as a church family. So here's what we'll do. We'll read 2 John and the black Bibles around the room. It's toward the very back uh, of the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, if you go to the very last book, it's Revelation. Turn left. From there, you'll see this little book, perhaps Jude, and then you'll see 3 John, and then you'll see 2 John, and then you'll see 1 John. We're in uh, 2 John this morning, and I'll read it. The Elder So John is speaking of himself here. He's the overseer. There's some euphemistic language here. So the elder to the elect lady and her children. He's he's most likely speaking to a congregation and her members. The elect lady is a euphemism for the church and her members. Whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady or dear church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it so that we love one another. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for or what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. 
Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. The children, the members of another congregation greet you. This is God's word. Father, would you open up the meaning of this text to us? It was written in ancient times, approximately 1,900 years ago, 2,000 years ago. Would you make it real for us today? Would you help us, the people of 2021 in Post Falls, Idaho, would you help us apply it to our, to our lives? Wonder at your son and craft uh, by your spirit a way that we can engage you more fully in the coming days that will make our own souls come alive as we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I mentioned this. The Apostle John, is he's, he's most likely here. There's some debate on it, but not a ton. Um, he is most likely uh, writing in this euphemism, the elect lady and her children. He's writing to a small congregation that he is, he has some responsibility for. So he's an overseer or an elder of this congregation. He's got some authority over them. Perhaps he was involved in the planting, but, but, but nonetheless, they look to him as an apostle. They look to him as authoritative. And so um, he, uh, he, the, his love for this church is grounded in Jesus Christ who called himself the truth. So one thing about John and his writings, whether it's the gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament, that's kind of this um, treatise on Jesus's life, it's telling of the story of Jesus's life and the impact of his life, or whether it's his letters, first, second, and third John, or whether it's the, the last book of the New Testament, Revelation. One thing that John really, really focused in on is this theme of truth. You'll see it constantly. Um, in John 8, um, G, uh, uh, yeah, John chap, John's gospel chapter 8, um, he would say um, about disciples, and when you look to Christ, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then in John 14, verse 6, it's this famous passage. You probably, some of you may even know where I'm going with this. He would record Jesus's own words that would say, I am the way, the, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus called himself the truth. It's not just a set of facts that are detached from personhood, but truth is actually embodied in a person. Jesus would call himself the truth. Um, Turn backwards, just go left one page from 2 John. Um, now you're in his first letter here. It's 1 John 5, the very last paragraph, the last two verses. Listen, listen to what the apostle John says about truth here. And we know, verse 20, and we know that the son of God has come. So we know something, the son of God has come and the son of God has given us understanding. For what purpose? so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. 
And then he'll finish this letter by saying, little children, keep yourself from idols or keep yourself from worshiping things that are not ultimate. Keep yourself from worshiping things that are not God, but that we want to turn into God's. So I think uh, it's reasonable for us to pull the word truth as John uses it in 2 John. So go back to 2 John, to the very first paragraph of this little letter that I, that I started out reading here. He, he says, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. Uh, it's, it's good for us. It's acceptable for us. I think it's right to take this word truth and pull it out of the general and down into the specific here. The truth that John is speaking of in 2 John is intricately connected to Jesus. He loves these people in truth. There's a connectedness to Jesus Christ that is influencing his love of them. As Jesus would say um, in the last couple of weeks as we were in John 15, Jesus would say, as I have loved you, so love one another. And that's what the apostle John is doing here. He's saying, I love you in truth. As Christ has loved, as the truth, Jesus Christ, the true God has loved me, so I am also loving you in this moment. He loves them alongside all other Christians. He says, not only I, but also all who know the truth love you, who know Christ love you because of the truth, because of Christ that abides in us and will be with us forever. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, he is Messiah And so John loves them in these ways because the truth abides in him and also the truth, Jesus Christ, abides in all other Christians. And so this love for God, this love for one another, it will never be outdated. That's where he uses this word forever in verse two. This truth will abide with us and in us forever. And then he goes on in verse three, he says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So this grace, this mercy, this truth will come, this peace will come to us from God and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. Verse four, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. It's likely that there were probably, a, there was a, a traveling band of evangelists, literal missionaries who were, who were sent out from the church that he's writing to here that he came into contact with. And as he came into contact with them and interacted with them, he's now writing back to their home church saying, I rejoiced greatly to find that they were so benefited by your influence. That connection made my heart swell and sing when I met them. Verse five, and now I ask you, dear lady or church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. So go on, you're doing so, so well. Let's keep this commandment given to us from Jesus Christ that as we abide in him, we will also love one another. And then John says in verse six, and this is love, that we walk according to Jesus's commandments. This is the commandment to love one another, just as you have heard from the very beginning of this ministry. Nothing at all has changed. Nothing has changed. For many deceivers have gone out into the world and those deceivers are people who do not operate or do not um, traffic the truth. They do, not, um, they, they do not propagate truth. They're deceivers. 
They've gone out into the world and those are those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So John is trying to set this church up to look out for those who would come in and deceive them. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Instead, they live in untruth. They pass it on. Such a person is cursed in John's view. And then verse eight and nine is really where we're going to be hanging the the majority of our attention this morning. And I'm going to come back to it a few times throughout the message. But he says this, he's he's calling them to take inventory. First two words here, verse eight, watch yourselves, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we or what you have worked for. Keep an eye on how you are living. But the hope is, is that you have worked for life with Christ, abiding in him, and that you may win a full reward, which will look like you being with him forever. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So everyone who departs from biblical revelation and therefore the teaching of Jesus, starting with the fact that he's the Son of God, John has just addressed this, and apart from him, no one can have God. If anyone goes on ahead of this teaching, departs from it, they are in fact denying and abandoning God himself. They're departing from God himself. And so a denial like that, denying that Jesus Christ has come in, uh, has not come rather in the flesh and is not the son of God, it deserves consequence, not communion. Whoever stakes their life on Jesus's teaching and comes back daily to learn and to grow and to be governed has a heart that is from God and God is theirs. They are his. That's what he's getting at here. Verse 10 and 11, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. If anyone comes into your midst and erodes or denies that Jesus is the son of God and the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, don't give them any influence or any sway. Now he's speaking to the church, not just about people that they're interacting with on an everyday basis, but he's speaking to the church about those who would come in and try to exert some kind of teaching authority and influence. He's saying, do not platform them in any way. Do not give them the ability to teach. If, these are the, if they've departed from the teaching of Christ, do not give them any sway in your gatherings. Do not give them any authority in your community. Do not receive them into your house or give them any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Whoever gives them quarter becomes um, complicit in their work of deception. And then John says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. So he's essentially saying, let's not text. Let's meet up face to face. Let's get together so that our joy with one another as we see one another will be full, can be seen, can be realized. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. And then he concludes by saying, the children of your elect sister, the members of your chosen Sister congregation, greet you. Give their love to you. That's probably where John is writing from, this other congregation. 
Now, um, 2 John verses 8 and 9, again, watch yourselves. Purpose clause. So that you may not lose what you have worked for, which is abiding with Christ, but that you may win a full reward, which is continued transformation leading to the glory of living in Jesus Christ's presence. There's probably more included there, but that's the root of it. Everyone who goes on ahead, who is swayed by the new and does not abide in the teaching of Christ or departs from Jesus' teaching does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. This is God's word as we've processed it in the first 15 minutes this morning. It's going to kind of guide us and just be, uh, be, be what is um, swirling in the background as we talk through um, what it looks like to order your life in such a way that you give priority to God, that you functionally watch yourself, that you functionally um, see to it that you abide in the teaching of Christ. So I want you to consider and dream a bit with me here. Um, what would your life and relationships look like if you intentionally ordered your own days around simple, hear that word, simple practices that create space for fellowship with God? What would your life, what might your relationships look like if you were to order your days around very simple practices that intentionally create space for fellowship with God, as a pastor and as um, as a friend of many of you, uh, I have seen this uh, consistently. I've seen this in you. Uh, I've seen this in myself. Uh, I have seen this in uh, people that I have interacted with over the years. Uh, this is what I've seen: people are not typically done in by poor theology or poor or, or a lack of biblical literacy, but actually people are most done in by a lack of intentionality in our relationship and our fellowship with God. That's what's true. He's always there. He's always present. Yes, like we believe that. But the question is, am I to him? Am I present to him? I have this piece of paper that's just right above my desk and the season of 2020 helped me to realize like this is the main point of my life. This is the main like purpose statement of my life. It's this, it's staying present to God and present to the people right in front of me. I'm coming in and out of that, but like that's the guiding line that I'm trying to, um, the, 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 the rule over my life in some ways. I want to stay present to God and I want to stay present to the people who are right in front of me. And so the days, what I find in my life, and you probably find this too, is that the days come and go. And, uh, and, and something new is kind of always coming at you, right? Whatever is loudest gets our attention and if we don't have a plan, whatever is loudest will get our time. It's gonna get our focus and it will certainly get our attention. And so John in verse eight, he says what? Watch yourselves. So the question is then how will you create space for an abiding, ongoing, personal relationship with God, fellowship with God? I'll start with the assumption that you um, believe functionally that God should have the primary say and the primary seat in your life. 
I'm just, that's the premise that I'm starting from this morning. So if that's not where you are, um, uh, that's where we're starting from this morning. We can walk it back if uh, we need to in a a conversation, come and talk with me. But um, I'm just gonna start with that assumption that God should have the primary seat and say in your life and that you would agree with that, that you would assent to that. And so if that's true for you philosophically, if you'd say, okay, like I believe this, then how do we make it true practically? where we can say with integrity, I live this. I believe it, but is there a gap between what we say we believe and what we functionally do and how we functionally live? And so what I wanna ask us to do this morning is to mind the gap, to be aware of the space between what I say I believe and what I actually do. How can we move from saying I should abide in Christ to being able to say with integrity that I do? abide with Christ. And perfection, like get that off the table. Like perfection is not the standard for us. We're gonna come in and out. Like we're not always gonna get it right ever. We're humans, we're people. So let's move perfection off the table. But even with perfection off the table, even though we don't always act, if you're a parent, we don't always act in a loving way towards our kids. We can still functionally say that we do love our kids because we do. Does that make sense? You're not a perfect parent, neither am I. So here is how we mind the gap. Here's how we mind the gap. We make and we work a simple plan. As individuals, we make and we work a simple plan. If I wanna start a business, what do I do? I write a business plan. If I wanna teach my kids responsibility, what do we do? We create a list of chores or a chore chart or something like that. If I wanna build a house, what do I need? I need blueprints, I need floor plans, I need some sort of a plan. If I wanna teach my kids English, I can't just start with, well, read, just read. I've gotta teach them the building blocks of the English language. So I've gotta start with a teaching plan. If I wanna steward my money, what do I need? I need a budget, that is a plan for how you intend to spend and save your money. Now, it is a mistake for us to equate planning with being unspiritual. I see this also all of the time. I hear this regularly. We're cool with plans for almost everything, but when it comes to our spiritual when it comes to our spirituality, we want things to be organic. No. Because here's what will happen. If you're intentional with your life with Christ, if, you're, if, if, you're, if you use an actual schedule, either on your phone or like an analog, like a notebook schedule, if you use that and you write God, you write like time with him into your schedule, what you will find is that you will spend time with him according to what you have, the time that you have allotted. But what you'll also find is that organic times with him begin to kind of populate the middle space between those things that you have planned. That as we make space to be mindful of him, we're going to naturally be more mindful of him in the unplanned times. That's the way I believe that life works. And so I think it's a serious mistake for us to equate planning how we're going to engage Christ with being unspiritual. What's unspiritual is actually not stewarding the treasures and the gifts that have been given to us by him, our souls, our relationships, our time, our resources. 
and most importantly, our fellowship with God. Second John verse eight, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. If you want to abide in the teaching of, of Christ in an intentional way, it needs a plan. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to use the remainder of our time to introduce a helpful tool, and it's called a rule of life. Um, I'm going to be really brief with what a rule of life is and some of the historical background, but, but here is a definition of what a rule of life is. If you're hearing rules for my life, you're not, um, you're not quite on the right track. So unpack some of what, how you've already defined this and, and listen in. This is what a rule of life is. A rule of life is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. The starting point and the foundation of any rule of life is a desire to be with God and to love him. That's what a rule of life is at its essence. A guy named Pete Scazzaro uh, wrote that from the emotionally healthy leader, emotionally healthy spirituality. He's done quite a lot of work around rule of life. So you can just Google rule of life. You can find some really good resources from a church named Bridgetown in Portland, Oregon. You can find good resources from the emotionally healthy leader. If you see any of those links, if you just Google rule of life, you see those on uh, in the search results, click on those. Those are, um, th- those are, are helpful. Um, the word rule, here. It actually comes from the Latin word regula. Um, And this word regula means literally straight piece of wood, means stick. And um, it also is used for the word trellis. We've got a photo of a trellis and some grapes up here. Now thinking about Jesus in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. A trellis is used to get the vine up off of the ground and to create space for it to sprawl so that air can come to it, so that, uh, so that it can be um, elevated and away from pests and rodents and also from rot and disease. A trellis is a network, is a structure that supports the growth of the vine. It's not about the trellis. It's not about the system, but the system, the trellis lives in service of the growth of the vine. With a rule, what we're doing is we're beginning with the end in mind. And so we're, we're, we're envisioning uh, and dreaming of a sustainable, thriving walk with the Lord. We're learning to love. Maybe this is uh, what we want, what we're aiming for. We're learning to love the scriptures. We're learning to love prayer. We're learning to lean into community and relationships. We're learning to um, be mindful of him in our work, which is where we spend a ton of our time. And then we reverse engineer that to a set of commitments that we uh, write, a personal rule of Life. So a rule of life is not a set of goals to be accomplished, but a rule of life is actually a structure that we begin to employ in our lives and just kind of work in our lives that goes with us wherever we go. Does that make sense? It's a set of commitments that guide us. It's like guardrails in our own lives. And we all, we all live by our own rule of life. We all have values that we hold, that we live from. Maybe we have not defined them, but we, but we live from them. 
Um, uh, a rule of life goes all the way back to um, the first mention of it was a guy named Augustine. Uh, he was a bishop in Northern Africa in the fourth century. So in the 300s, and he wrote Augustine's rule and he called together this monastic community to live together around this rule of life. So this morning we are, um, we're talking about the very first stage of writing a rule of life. How might I press into abiding with Christ? But a rule of life is, is meant to, uh, we're, it's meant to be used to help us think through not only how we abide with Christ, like the practices that are going to kind of move us to, to live in a more aware and present way to God and to other people, but to other people, it's meant to help us think about how we want to um, honor him in our relationships, how we want to honor him in our rest, the good of our own souls, how we want to honor him in our work lives as well. So this morning, um, as you kind of interact with this colorful sheet on the chairs around you, um, this is the very first step in writing a rule of life. You will not have completed a rule of life by completing this, but you will be on the journey here. Um, an author uh, named Annie Dillard, um, she's uh, not a believer, uh, not a Christian. Uh, she has said this, she said, and, and it's completely true. She said, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and what we do with that hour is what we are doing. A schedule, a plan defends from chaos and whim. Listen to this. It's a net for catching days. A plan, a schedule is a net for catching days. It's a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor and with both hand, and, and labor with both hands at sections of time. So this little uh, sheet right here. Um, it has uh, four categories on it. You'll see that it's got daily, weekly, it's got monthly, and it's also got yearly. We just created this as a way for you to kind of write in those color blocks. Like, what is, um, wh what do you have a sense? This is where I want the question to start for you. I think this is where it'll be most impactful for you. Um, what do you have a sense that the Spirit of God is inviting you to? For some of you who are more type A, like get all the things done, you're gonna like instantly begin to feel a sense of pressure to like list all of the things that you've been wanting to do. And pretty soon you're gonna have 15 things in the category of daily. And pretty soon you're gonna be very discouraged because you have only gotten to three of them on a regular basis. So I wanna ask you uh, to, to, um, to exercise temperance. And just to say, no, 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 no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna back off from that. And I just want like two, three tops things on that list to start with that you can begin in good conscience to employ in your life. For me, for example, is uh, you can start interacting with, with these as um, right now, if you, if you like, but we are gonna have some time to just be writing some things in. You'll notice on the back, there are some little, uh, there's some suggestions too, and it'll help walk you through it. But for me, and I'm not asking you to do this, I'm just saying this is what works for me and what has been working for me. Um, my basic commitments, I have, I have three simple ones, and then I've filled in a few more, but I've been working it for a little while. My three basic commitments are this. I'm trying to listen to the scriptures on a regular basis. 
And so I'm using the Dwell app and I'm listening. That's a, a simple commitment for me where I'm letting the word of God just come in audibly and do its work. Some of it I see, some of it I'm totally unaware of. <clears throat> That's one for me. Another one for me that has been huge is what I've just, I'm, I'm calling sleeping and waking prayer. Uh, I don't, I, uh, I'm going to bed at night. I've talked about this the last few weeks. I'm going to bed at night. I'm trying to um, just do a quick inventory of the people and events of my day, uh, the, the ups and the downs, and I'm just submitting that to the Lord. So if I'm uh, frustrated or upset at something, I'm trying to submit that to the Lord. If I'm thankful for someone or something, I'm trying to just say thank you. I'm trying to, in simple words, simple speech, economy of time, because I don't have a lot of time between when my head hits the pillow and I go horizontal to the time I'm out. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just working through um, some of my day very simply and then I'm going to sleep. Um, part of that for me is parenting my phone. So I've got to get it like out of my bedroom. It's been kicked out of the bedroom, plugged in downstairs because I'm just going to waste time with my thumb scrolling. So that's my second commitment. And then my third commitment is I, I want to pray for the people in my life in the moment that they ask for it or that I think of them. I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna make space to pray right then and there. Not I will pray for you, but, uh, but I wanna make space and pray. I'm just recognizing even this morning, a friend asked me to pray um, uh, for them and I didn't stop and pray for them in that moment. And so that's going to be your experience is that you're going to, you're, you're not going to meet your standards, but if perfection is the standard, you will be filled with discouragement and you will toss this quickly. The point is not perfection. The point is to work a plan and to come back to it 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 so that it moves into the routine. Into the routine. Okay? That's daily. Um, you'll, see some, uh, you'll see some things there. You might, you might include um, silence, periods of time in a day where you just wanna be silent. You just wanna like, you wanna shut your mouth, your internal mouth and your external mouth. And you wanna just try to quiet yourself to tune your ear to the Lord. Maybe you wanna meditate on a Psalm or pray through a Psalm. There are all kinds of different things that, that you can do there. Um, weekly, maybe this is what it looks like for you. Maybe it looks like gathering for worship. You just wanna prioritize this. You wanna prioritize sitting under the preaching of the word, singing with your church family, interacting with your church family, loving your church family, making yourself available. Maybe it looks like a commitment to um, a regular community group or a discipleship group. Uh, maybe, and it probably should look like some form of Sabbath where you're refusing to work. You're refusing to produce as an exercise in trusting the sovereignty of God. Because many of us overwork because um, we, we get into the routine and we're thoughtless about it. But some of us, we overwork because we have a, a sneaking and nagging sense that if I take my hands off of the work, things aren't going to get done and it's going to crumble. And so we are stepping into the place of sovereignty in our own lives. But Sabbath is meant to help us get our hands off of our work so that we can entrust our lives and our time and our well-being to the Lord who cares for us and provides for us. He commands his people to rest and to take a Sabbath. Monthly, 
Um, I don't know what this looks like for you. I, was, I started to get a bit more abstract for me. I'm not yet uh, employing some monthly practices, but I've got a few written down that I'm like getting my head and my heart into the space of being able to lean into. And so for me, some, that might look like uh, fasting a couple of days a month intentionally. Uh, it might look like rounding up a, a group of uh, just life-giving friends that I can pray with and gather with. Maybe share. Maybe we share a meal once a month on a set day, and our purpose is to to eat, to laugh, and to pray together. Simple, life-giving practices. Yearly, maybe this looks like intentional vacation, intentional time of rest for you. Maybe it looks like a retreat of some sort. I don't know what it might look like for you, but uh, I want to invite the band to come up and, uh, and to play. They're just going to play um, one song, just instrumental. I want you to just interact. I want you to quiet yourself. Don't uh, feel any sense of need to sing. If you would like to, feel free. Um, don't feel any sense of need to stand during this song. I want you to just sit. I want you to interact. I want you to prayerfully um, consider what the Spirit of God is inviting you into. And I want, to, I want to emphasize this again. You've heard me say it. Keep it simple. Like so simple, it almost feels dumb to you. Like go there because that is a plan that you can begin to work and that you can begin to live from. And I think what you'll notice as you do, as you practice abiding, is your ears and your spirit and your heart are going to tune more and more and more sensitively to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you will find yourself being more responsive than you ever have as you practice, responsive to him than you ever have as you practice abiding. So let me pray for us, and then I just want you to interact with this. And then after this next song, you guys can just lead us right into, um, you can lead us right into the last song there. Um, at which point, feel free to stand and to receive communion if you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, the table is open to you. Jesus is, uh, the bread represents his body. The blood represents his, or the, the juice represents his blood shed for us. Communion is a weekly practice that we give ourselves to. Uh, it's a weekly reminder of his abiding with us. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you by giving his life for us. Abide with me, abide in me. Communion is a way that we partake and we remember his death and his resurrection until he returns again. So go ahead.